Hey guys, Dr. Greg here, and on today's episode of the Daily Dose of Dr. Greg, it is straight up Ask Dr. Greg. We have gone through our social media accounts, TikTok and Instagram, and found some of our hottest videos, went into the comments of them, and are taking the most popular questions, and I'm going to address them today on our episode. Now, if you have a question that you would like for us to ask on our future podcast, just send it to us. Go ahead and, and DM us on, on any of the social media accounts. And we exist to educate, to empower, to give you the information. Now, respectfully, my answers are my opinions, right? Um, I, I, I can't tell you to, to get on or get off a of medication. Um, this is education, not you know medical advice, even though I am a doctor. Uh, with that being said, though, it's always important to understand where our information is coming from. It's also important to understand the philosophy and why people talk about what they do. So again, if you have uh, interest uh, about our certain questions, just send them our way. We would love to come alongside and give you information. All right. With that being said, let's jump in. First question, can altering your diet improve a fatty liver? Well, that is a great question. And typically, let's just back up a step. What is a fatty liver? So now medically, the 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 true way to diagnose a non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome diagnosis is actually a needle biopsy. And yeah, that means sticking a big old needle into your right side and taking a sample of the liver tissue. However, um, there are other ways that are way less invasive that can at least say there's liver stress. So Lab-wise, you can look at albumin and globulin and AST and ALT and alkaline phosphatase, even triglycerides are a picture as to what the liver has going on. So can, can, the, can the diet impact that? And the answer is absolutely. So one of the most deleterious things that you can do dietarily to stress the liver is spike your blood sugar or have insulin spikes. Because what that does is the triglycerides are many times a picture as to how your liver is responding to carbohydrates in your diet. Now, I'm not an anti-carb guy. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not the guy that says everyone should be on keto, though some people do really well on keto. Um, but your diet, so number one, you have to manage your blood sugar. You have to have low consistent blood sugar. Now, when it comes to fat, you, I am not the guy that's going to say you should have a fat-free diet when there's liver stress. However, unhealthy fats, damaged fats, seed oils, they are hugely bad for the liver, not just the liver, your entire body. So what are those things? That's things like canola oil. Canola, by the way, canola is not a healthy fat. Vegetable oil, uh, corn oil, um, trans fats, deep fried foods, those are things that change the molecular makeup of that fat molecule and they are unhealthy for our bodies. Now, the flip side of that are healthy fats. Things like avocados and avocado oil, olive oil, um, grapeseed oil, uh, grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, pastured chicken and eggs. Those things have a complete opposite impact upon that. So, but biggest thing with the fatty liver is the diet. And here's the other thing, like I, I'm pretty neutral when it comes to alcohol. However, if you know that you have a fatty liver, I mean, come on, 
Like just set it aside for a while. Give your liver a break because your liver does have to process any type of alcohol that you consume. Should I be gluten-free and dairy-free if I have a Hashimoto's diagnosis? This is a great question. And uh, typically I would tell people yes. Uh, and the reason for that is not because I'm anti-gluten and I'm anti-dairy. However, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I know too much about how those, those uh, products are produced. Let's just say that. Actually, even the, the Mayo Clinic and their Mayo Clinic Health Guide even states that people with Hashimoto's should be gluten and dairy-free. Now, I'm not against dairy. I am against how most farmers raise and handle their cattle. I'm also not a, a, a real big fan of what pasteurization and homogenization does to the dairy molecule. So for example, uh, in some states, it's legal to go and buy raw milk from a dairy. Uh, that's part of it, but also I would want to make sure that that cow is grass-fed, free-range, and organic in her upbringing so that she can produ be producing the very best um, product. Now, also, when it comes to dairy, we have to think like mammals, uh, you know, consume dairy during a phase of their life. Babies consume dairy in a phase of their life where they are developing very, very quickly, growing a lot. And I guess, I mean, I'm not necessarily interested in growing a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, it's for infants for a reason, right? So I'm not a huge fan. Now, my, one of my kids is a young football player. He'd like to put some mass on all, all day long, man, raw dairy for that kiddo because we want him to put some mass on. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to be in a, in a large growth phase. So, so that would be kind of my maybe against uh, a dairy conversation. Now, gluten, another conversation. I have no issue with gluten other than what I can tell you is it really can spike your blood sugars, especially if it's not, if it's not had uh, in conjunction with other proteins and fats. However, I'll just say this, and, and Uncle Tim and Aunt Pam, I do love you. I just don't, don't agree with your farming practices. So for example, my dad went to Uncle Tim and Aunt Pam's farm this summer, and he helped them uh, combine or harvest their wheat crop. However, 10 days before they harvested their wheat crop, they sprayed the entire crop with Roundup. And it does two things really for a wheat crop. So understand that 10 days before you harvest a wheat crop, that wheat, that kernel is a mature grain. So they spray for two reasons. Number one is it dries it out. And, and for them to make the most money that they possibly can at the elevator to sell their wheat, it has to be very consistent in its moisture. The second thing, if there are any green weeds or other plants in that wheat field and they didn't spray it, that green weed or plant is very, very hard on their combine. Now, in today's day and age, a good combine is like $500,000 or more. I mean, that's bananas. So what Roundup does is it kills any of those green weeds and dries them up so that they do not damage the combine. So again, I'm not against gluten, but I am not for glyphosate and what it can do inside of our bodies. Oh, by the way, there's actually lab testing now available to us to see how much glyphosate might be in somebody's body. It's actually a part of our total toxicity burden panel that we run at the clinic here in Minnesota. That panel has heavy metals, 
um, mycotoxins, which is the conversation of if an environmental or food mold exposure that turns into a toxic fungus inside of the body, and then an environmental toxic uh, measure where it looks at organophosphate fertilizers, um, pesticides, herbicides, plasticizers, parabens, a plethora, about 25 pages of information on there. So uh, I would recommend that if you have Hashimoto's, um, that you are gluten-free, dairy-free, and respectfully, we, um, I do, I, I am a fan of the, um, more of the uh, paleo-type approach from a dietary standpoint, so really the only gluten or dairy inside of that might be like grass-fed butter or ghee, so that would answer that question. What would be the potential root cause of low estrogen progesterone and testosterone. So we, this is a conversation of sex hormones. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, he has my attention because of these hormones, um, I would ask that you go and search um, hormonal house calls. That is actually uh, Emily, who's one of my expert clinicians in my practice. She is like the wizard when it comes to hormones. So if you're into hormones, go check her out and, and, and follow her on social as well. Typically, what I have found for reasons of low hormones is a response to stress. Now, when we think of stress, we think of like worldly stress, like emotional stress, like I work too much, I have relational stress. But stress can come in many forms and fashions inside of our body. So we can have uh, infection stress. So you could have an underlying set of infections that potentially unbeknownst to you are causing systemic stress in your body. You could be exposed to toxicity. Like, for example, you could be working or living in a potentially um, toxic or moldy environment. And, and even though you don't walk into that space and you have all of these respiratory symptoms, they are an impact or a stressor on your body. Um, now, for, um, so, so those things can absolutely have um, a deleterious impact upon sex hormones. What I've also found when it comes to sex hormones is dietary stressors. One of, the, one of the most impactful things is blood sugar spiking because then it messes with other hormones like insulin and it, it causes a shuttling and a, sh um, a moving around of some of those sex hormones. Poor sleep. Poor sleep is absolutely a killer to hormones. Um, and then again, this hormone, this question could be a, a 12-hour weekend seminar, but there are so many reasons. And by the way, it's not a lack of hormones in your body. Please do not jump straight into, you know, someone giving you a bunch of a bunch of hormones. I'm not against hormones, but there it's never a first-line therapy when it comes to addressing your body and what's going on. And for some women, I mean, you might be you might be a menopausal woman and you are just naturally producing less hormones. And in some cases, Bioidentical therapy may be something to consider because there is actually some pretty favorable uh, research on optimizing those sex hormones through those menopausal years. So something to think about there. I have chronically low ferritin. What would cause the, what would be the underlying cause? So ferritin, first of all, what is ferritin? Ferritin is an iron store inside of your body. And there are optimal levels of ferritin. Actually, let me, let me just look up the, the, I actually had a question on this just yesterday. So let me go in and take a look at that. Okay, ferritin numbers. Here we go. If you are a premenopausal female, your ferritin, the, the, the optimal functional medicine range is between 10 to 120. 
If you are a postmenopausal female, the optimal range is 10 to 250. And for guys, it's 30 to 225. So the question here, though, today is, um, is in regards to low ferritin. So low ferritin, again, so ferritin are your iron stores. So low ferritin would simply say you have low stores. Well, if there's low stores, low iron stores, it typically tells us that they are being used throughout the body. So if you have low ferritin, then we want to look at things like serum iron or hemoglobin or transferrin saturation. I would say that there is uh, unquestionably um, this conversation of there being uh, either anemia or potentially infection on board. Advice for migraine sufferers. Man, migraines are really a tough conversation and a lot of people um, are impacted by them. I guess the first thing, and a lot of people have done this, but like try to track and see like where did these come from? Where, like, are, do they, no, not where do they come from, but like do they, uh, do they happen, if you're a female, do they happen at certain times throughout your female cycle? You know, are they around ovulation or menstruation to see if there's some association with that? See if there's any, um, hey, every time I go into this room or I, every time I go to work, because sometimes there can either, either be an environmental conversation or honestly, there could even be an emotional attachment to migraines. Um, migraines are typically a symptom of something else going on inside of the body. Now, again, I'm not trying to say just suffer with your migraine, but typically I would love for you to look at liver function, kidney function, infection, hormonal imbalance, uh, micronutrient deficiency. Um, instead of trying to find a, you know, a magic drug or supplement that helps with migraines, let's look and see if there's something better from a root cause standpoint. Graves disease, speak to this. So what is Graves disease? Graves disease is an autoimmune hyperthyroid condition. And this one is not to be taken lightly. And, I, and respectfully, if you have Graves' disease, you must be under the care of a medical professional. Um, you know, a lot of times the, the approach with Graves' disease is to either surgically or uh, radiographically eradicate or remove the thyroid gland. Um, now, that isn't always necessarily supposed to be the first step. So hopefully the clinician that you're working with can kind of figure out like, okay, why is your system going hyperthyroid? So to look at the pituitary gland and potentially like a pituitary tumor. But Graves' disease in and of itself absolutely requires further testing and requires someone that really understands bigger picture. And respectfully, I would say if you're told that the only option that you have is to just lop out the, the thyroid, it might be worth looking for some other specialists that really know what they're doing when it comes to the thyroid. Let's talk about infertility. I tell you what, um, infertility is a, a, a big deal. Uh, I believe I saw a statistic someplace that said roughly one third of couples suffer from infertility. And my philosophy states that the body responds appropriately to its environment. So if you are infertile, the question has to be, why? What's going on? What is your body dealing with that it's not able to conceive? And by the way, if, if you are, or, or you know someone that's suffering from this, I am not making light of it for a second. I mean, I'm, I'm a dad and I celebrated a birthday yesterday of our youngest child. And tomorrow I get to go watch three of my kids do a, a weightlifting competition. 
fewer things in life bring me as much joy as being a dad and, and what that brings. So I, my heart goes out to you. Now, and, and, and as a dad, I want nothing more for you than to be a parent. And what I have found is this, and I warn my patients about this. When the body gets healthy, it gets fertile. So instead of saying, why am I not able to conceive a child or, or forcing, worse yet, forcing pregnancy upon a woman's body that's unhealthy, I, man, and here's why I say that. I have had many, many women in my career that have gone through infertility treatment, literally had fertility forced upon their body, and they, the woman, came out of it, yes, with a baby, but their body was a hot mess. And it did not leave them in a better place. So we don't specialize in infertility in our clinic. However, we treat a lot of women. Uh, and a lot of women have conceived uh, under the care of us. But we don't do hormone jockeying to promote um, fertility. What we do is we honor the body. What we do is we look at, like, for example, did you know that the liver, the liver is responsible for shuttling estrogen and progesterone at ovulation and menstruation. Did you know that if you have um, chronic infection on board, that's a stress to your body. So your body may actually forego ovulation if there's an onboard stressor. <laughs> no ovulation, no conception. Straightforward. So we have to look at the body as a whole and say, okay, what's going on in the environment of this body that the body could intelligently be saying, no bueno, we're not doing pregnancy right now, and address those things. Because I would love for pregnancy to be a blessing. I would love for that baby to be a, the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I believe it can be. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm against what they're doing at fertility clinics. I mean, I'm all for babies. Though, man, I... I um, <laughs> I actually had a 39-year-old patient a couple years ago that she spent, her and her husband spent six figures on conceiving their previous child. And when she started working with us, she was, that, that previous child was 13 years old. And they were done with babies. They were good. She was 39. She, they were good. And I warned her. I said to her, I'm warning you, when you get healthy, you get fertile. And she's like, yeah, right. That's like not happening in my body. Dr. Greg, we had to spend over $100,000 to have this last child. And it wasn't six months into her working with me. She gave me a phone call one day and she's like, uh, Dr. Greg, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, I warned you. And she's like, I know, but I just thought it was impossible because of my, of my situation. And I said, remember, your body's designed to conceive and carry babies, girl. And we just got things out of the way. And I tell you what, that little baby has been such a blessing for their family. So, so if you or someone that you know is suffering from infertility, um, let's take a bigger look. Let's, let's, let's take a step back and let's get you healthy. This podcast is sponsored by Therisage, affordable at-home saunas and therapy made simple. Therisage is your source for infrared healing and detox on the go. Head to therisage.com and use code DrGregHealth for 10% off your entire order. Hi, everyone. This is Ben, one of Dr. Greg's producers. We appreciate you tuning into The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg. If you are interested in working with Dr. Greg or Vitae Clinic, all you have to do is click the link in this episode's show notes. We want to bring people as much value as possible. So if you've personally enjoyed this episode, please 
share it with your friends and family. Also, we welcome all of your comments and feedback and questions on any of our social media platforms. Feel free to reach out at any time. That said, let's hop back into today's conversation of The Daily Dose with Dr. Greg. We shot a video on about the, uh, the, those that have had their gallbladder removed and, and um, they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Like, oh, what do I do? I wish I'd have seen this video before I had it taken out. And I'm not saying that getting the gallbladder out is a bad thing. For some people, it absolutely needs to come out. However, uh, you now don't have this little bile sack pouch uh, anymore. So um, one of the things that I recommend is just you got to be mindful of your diet. Damaged fats have got to go because what happens is that, that, that ability to give that big old push of bile could really help with some of those damaged fats. So number one, you got to just damaged fats have got to go. Healthy fats have to come in. And then for some people, you have to use high quality bile salts. And uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I try not to pitch products um, on these things, but, but we carry a product called Advanced Tudka. And I tell you what, it literally has changed people's abilities to, um, to function and digest. And, and also, by the way, I'll also say this, and I've said this many times, if the gallbladder has been removed, in my opinion, that is literally the liver like sacrificing the gallbladder when the liver is stressed. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, you do, I need to encourage you to do further work to see like, how is your liver doing? Because if your liver sacrificed your gallbladder, but the stressor is still there, look, what's next? Like liver, I mean, yeah, there is liver transplants, but that's a huge undertaking. And that's the last place that you want to go. So you really, really need to double down on liver function. Fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Man, I, so many people get diagnosed with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. And I, Yes, I know that that to diagnose fibromyalgia, you have to be sore in these certain spots and, and not sore in these other ones. In my opinion, though, it's very much a garbage basket term. It's, hey, you hurt a bunch. We really don't have an understanding of what's causing it, so we're going to slap a label on it. And um, I love when those people find us. I love when they're like, you know what? I don't like that diagnosis. It, it, it doesn't. Yes, it's a diagnosis. However, what am I supposed to do about it? And and they, they realize that there's something more. And if you're listening to this and you have fibro or chronic fatigue, there's almost always something more. And that's where we in the world of functional medicine, because of the, even how we look at blood labs, right? Um, you know, Western medicine's range is this big and our range is this big. It's, it's is there a disease or a need for drugs and versus optimal functioning? So typically what I see with fibro is I see poor drainage, gut, liver, kidneys, lymphatic system, your brain's lymphatic system called the glymphatic system, your sweat glands and your respiratory system are not draining well. Number two is your energetic systems, your mitochondrial sufficiency uh, is not, there's not enough gas in the tank to get the work done. So if you have fiber or CFS, um, you got you to you dig more. You have to, um, you, you have to stop putting band-aids on bullet wounds. You have to get to the bottom of, of what's going on from that standpoint. ADHD plus low sex hormones. What do we do? Um, you're not alone. The first thing I'll tell you, whether it's low estrogen or low testosterone or lower progesterone and, and even ADHD. Again, I'm not trying to discount ADHD. Uh, respectfully, I've had people, you know, slap that label on me. And here's what I'll tell you. There are certain things that I guarantee you that do not get my attention. And I am fidgety and I will move through them. 
And there are other things that I can dial into for hours and hours and hours on end. So I believe wherever there's a lack of attention, in other areas there will be a surplus of attention to other aspects. So that's kind of my take on that. Um, I'm, 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 I understand that the medication world is used highly inside of that. Um, respectfully, I'm not a fan of that. I actually, let me speak to that for a second. So I was at a football game this fall at our local high school here in Minnesota, and the, the uh, Marines were there doing uh, some, some, some work. And uh, they, they like sponsored the game and I was on the sidelines and I, I had one of the, the Marine guys and I was like, cool, like what's your role? And he's like, well, I'm a recruiter. Huh, tell me how that's going. And he's like, not good. Interesting. Well, why is that? And he said, D- what we have found is during um, the most recent pandemic, there's been a huge increase in the use of things like Adderall or Stratera or Vyvanse. And he said, did you know that if, if someone that someone wants to be in the military, that they have to be off those medications for two years before we can even consider them for military duty. And I literally sat there with my mouth like wide open. You see, the military realizes that if someone's on those things, they're not fit for duty. So I, I mean, I just, I don't know. I have ethical, moral issues around People using, you know, methamphetamine derivatives to alter the brains of babies. I'm, whew, I'm grateful that my parents didn't give me those drugs as a little kid. I wouldn't be doing this right now. I believe that there's a lot of people that are gifted, geniuses, that it's taken from them. So I believe that there needs to be a better understanding uh, I say this because I'm even, I, I've done a ton of work with kids on the autistic spectrum. I believe that autistic kids, for the most part, because I've worked with actually many savants in my career, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. But because they don't process the way that we process, we say they're different. So the reality is I was a gifted kid. And, and I was not a great student in elementary school because I grasped the concept probably before the teacher even taught it. But because the teacher has to teach to everybody, she taught it 14 times. And that's where I was poking kids in the back and being disruptive because I was bored. So it's things to think about with that. So if you have ADHD, also for me, it helped me to understand how do I process. And when you have ADHD, you process very quickly. So even to be able to slow down, and, and ask, why do I process? How do I process? And then to even have the ability to process differently. To say, is that how I like to, would like to process that situation? And then to give yourself the grace to do it potentially differently. It's quite encouraging. Um, the hormones in, in regards to that, um, typically it's, it's the system just driving, 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 which can be a part of ADHD and you're just gobbling up those hormones. So you'd want to take out a bigger picture, look at liver function, look at gut function, look at micronutrient status, vitamin D, B12, folate, look at homocysteine, look at the cardiac system, look at the global sex hormone aspect and really get an idea of what's going on big picture wise and then just slow down, process through it and you'll get it figured out. I know you will. All right, I'm going to do one last question. But before that, I'm going to, I'm going to plug us a little bit. So you guys know that I, I do use supplements in, in my protocols. We don't use a ton. However, there are times where that's it's the tool you have to use. So uh, if you 
at any place that you're listening to this, leave us a five-star review. Uh, I will put your name in a drawing and we will send you a bottle of my absolutely most favorite vitamin D product. That is a product called DV3. Uh, I've said this a million times. Good vitamin D products have one ingredient, vitamin D. Better uh, vitamin D products have two ingredients, D3 and K2. And DV3, guys, has 21 ingredients, including vitamin C and many of the cofactors that actually make it absorbable. By the way, vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's a hormone. So it's important that we are taking the right amount and the right dosage of that. So put your name uh, into, uh, or put, do a five-star review for us and you'll get your name in a hat. Also, if you have found value in what we do with these podcasts, the best compliment that you can give us is to share these things. Uh, that would just mean the world to me to get this information out there. Also, um, we have, I don't know, thousands and thousands and thousands of comments every single month on social media. And there's a group of you out there that, I don't know, we have to maybe find a name for you guys. You're our warriors though, uh, because some people think that I'm crazy. And some people think that I, you know, what, what does this guy think he knows? Well, the reality is I've been doing this for t over 20 years. And, and I'm not just out here to like get my name out. And a lot of you are, you're, you're my warriors. You're the ones that are defending me. And you're the ones that are, that are standing up for the truth of what's going on. And I just, I want to commend you and I honor you. And I don't know, maybe we need to make like a Dr. Greg warrior t-shirt or something like that. That would be awesome. Maybe, maybe it needs to be a better word than warrior. We'll figure it out. It, it, by the way, if you're one of those people and you have a better term uh, for, for who you are inside of us, like I want to acknowledge you like you're part of our tribe. And, uh, and I, I'm here to encourage you. And I'm also, thank you. I mean, it totally means a lot to myself and my team and the mission that we're behind here. Uh, so terrible heartburn and reflux. What do I do? Now, some people are on medications for this, and my goal is not to kick you on or put you off medications. By the way, legally, I can't do that. Um, by the way, this is also not go and take a digestive enzyme. So here's the, oh my gosh, I'm going to say this. Okay. So my beef with natural medical clinicians is they're like, oh yeah, I'm different than, than medical doctors. I, I, don't, I don't just patch symptoms. But they're still doing this for that medicine, right? Oh, I'm not going to give you Prilosec. I'm going to give you a digestive enzyme. How's that any different? How is that any of a different approach? It's still a this for that approach. Now, here's what I have found for whatever it's worth. I, about five years ago, went to a physical therapy seminar. There's a guy in Lincoln, Nebraska named Ron Ruska, and he uh, has a, a clinic in Nebraska, and he also trains physical therapists around the world through something called the Postural Restoration Institute. We'll link to all this in the show notes. So I went to this seminar talking specifically about something called the Zone of Apposition. And I went to it because a friend of mine is like, hey, this is really helpful for people with like shoulder and hip issues. And I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. I love to learn new things. So I went to the seminar. Now, prior to the seminar, if someone was in my practice and they had indigestion, acid reflux, I would check them for something called a hiatal hernia, which is literally where the stomach pushes up through the hole of the diaphragm. And then I had a, a physical medicine modality where I would literally put my hands like into their stomach and try to pull down on their stomach. Not very, <laughs> it didn't feel good. Let's just say that. 
So I went to this seminar about five years ago, and I went to the seminar in Lincoln at the, at the Institute, and I learned this thing called the zone of apposition. And, and again, we'll put this into the notes. And, and long story short, what Dr. Ruska, I don't know if he's a doctor, Ron Ruska, uh, physical therapist, postulated was that the right lung, the right diaphragm, becomes neurologically uh, less active. Uh, there's less tone to that. And, and he, feels, he felt that we do... Uh, the lion's share of our respiratory work through our left lung. So long story short, I went to this seminar and I had, I had an injury to my pelvis from, uh, from a bounce house of all crazy things. And, and what I can tell you is, so in, in, these, in these seminars, you workshop on each other. So I had this physical therapist that was practicing this technique on me. And prior to this, if I did a squat or a lunge, I would get like these razor blade jabs through my pelvis. And, and what I can tell you is after one um, trial of this on me, I got off the table and I, at that moment and ever since, have had zero pelvic pain. And I can squat and lunge and do all those things with zero issue. The, what I found, though, is I started to do this. So, so Ron Ruska, the Postural Restoration Institute, it's very musculoskeletal based. So then I had a person who was having acid reflux and indigestion, and I was like, you know what? Because the diaphragm sits, you know, below your rib cage and the stomach sits right there, what if I see if this zone of apposition work can impact acid reflux, indigestion, uh, hiatal hernia? And I tell you what, slam dunk, like legit slam dunk. So I did this, this modality on a patient of mine who was having this like crazy acid reflux. And then she got off the table and she looked at me like, what the what just happened to me? And I was like, how are you doing? She's like, my reflex is gone. And I was like, that is amazing. So it is an, uh, an absolute amazing tool in our toolbox. So there's a couple of ways that you guys can go about this. You can find actually a local physical therapist uh, that is trained in doing zone of apposition work. And then also we as a team are um, encouraged to just create a video because I think you can do it yourself for the most part, or you can get close. And uh, so we're going to just try to educate you. We're going to give credit where credit is due to, to Ron Ruska and his work. I'm super grateful for it. Uh, but, I, but if you or someone you know is experiencing heartburn, acid reflux, it is absolutely worth a try. All right, you guys, there you have it. There is our episode today. I love the questions. Keep the questions coming. We are truly honored to serve you and your loved ones. And um, stay tuned for our next episode.